Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn now to 2 Samuel chapter 20. And this is the passage that we'll, we'll look at this evening. And uh, let me pray before we go into the preaching of the word, and, uh, and then we'll read the passage. Let's pray. Father, bless the preaching of your word. Lord, feed us again. We are hungry. We are sinful. We are needy. And Father, we know that you are the, the father who gives good gifts to his children. And so we pray that even this evening, as we uh, meet this way, that uh, you would provide, that you would give us the good gift of comprehending and practicing your word. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. A little bit of review before we uh, read the passage, Second uh, Samuel 20 is where we're at. Remember that uh, Absalom, David's son, had arisen against David and uh, led a coup and had uh, basically turned all of Israel against David. And now uh, that rebellion has been put down. Uh, Absalom was killed by Joab's men and by Joab himself. And David is now back in Jerusalem, and as soon as he's back in Jerusalem, obviously it's not all uh, ease for him. He's got to put the kingdom in order. And so in chapter 19, you remember there are three people that he has to deal with. He, he, he interacts with Shimei, the man who had cursed him. He, acts with, um, he interacts with Mephibosheth, uh, the, the son of Saul and Barzillai. Uh, and so we talked about, last time, we talked about David's flawed leadership. He was prone, in many respects, he was prone to have mercy on his enemies. And that, that for David is both virtue and vice. It's virtue in the sense that he would not put his hand out against the Lord's anointed, even though Saul was an enemy to him and Saul was seeking to uh, kill him. He would not put his hand out against the man anointed to lead God's people. But on the other hand, we see time and time again David uh, having mercy on enemies or, or just not taking up leadership as he, uh, as he was supposed to. You have to remember that David is not just a private Christian. David is the king of Israel. And that obligates him to deal with his enemies, not just as a private individual, but deal with his enemies as a king, right? So he, he is to know and defeat his enemies for the sake of the good of the entire flock. And so uh, we have to remember that. Now, Israel right now is very divided. Uh, David has to bring them together. And that's perhaps the hardest work that a leader has to do is bring together a divided body, bring together a factious body. And, and that is often what 
perhaps that's the only thing that leaders really have to do. Other than that, it's uh, making decisions about the, uh, the color of the carpet. But um, bringing together those who have differing opinions and those who have differing allegiances. And so that's, that's what David is going to have to do the rest of his, um, certainly the rest of his reign. Um, and just when you think you have momentum, things can go sideways. Just when you think that you're bringing things together and things are getting back to normal, that's when uh, the challenges come. And that is indeed what happens here. Israel and Judah are split at this point. And you remember at the end of 19, they're trying to figure out who, how to come back together. And uh, they haven't figured out how to do that. And then we get to chapter 20, and that's where we pick this up. And let's read this. This is the word of the Lord. Now a worthless fellow happened to be there whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew the trumpet and said, We have no portion in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tent, so Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from following David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah remained steadfast to their king from the Jordan even to Jerusalem. Then David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, the concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and placed them under guard and provided them with sustenance. But he did not go into them, so they were shut up until the day of their death, living as widows." Then the king said to Amasa, Call out the men of Judah for me within three days, and be present here yourself. So Amasa went to call out the, the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which he had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba the son of Bichri will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him so that he does not find for himself fortified cities and escape from our sight. So Joab's men went after him, along with the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men, and they went from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. When they were at the large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Now Joab was dressed in his military attire, and over it was a belt with a sword and its sheath fastened at his waist. And as he went forward, it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa was not on guard against the sword which was in Joab's hand. So he struck him in the belly with it and poured out his inward parts on the ground and did not strike him again, and he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now there stood by him one of Joab's young men and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. But Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the middle of the highway. And when the men saw all, uh, that all the men stood still, he removed Amasa from the highway into the field and threw a garment over him when he saw that everyone who came by him stood still. As soon as he was removed from the highway, all the men passed on after Joab 
to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, even Beth Machah, and all the Barites, and they were to gather together and also went after him. They came and besieged in Abel, Beth Machah, and they cast up a siege ramp against the city, and it stood by the rampart, and all the people who were with Joab were wreaking destruction in order to topple the wall. Then a wise woman called from the city, Here, here, please tell Joab, come here that I may speak with you. So he approached her, and the woman said, Are you Joab? And he answered, I am. And then she said to him, Listen to the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I am listening. Then she spoke, saying, Formerly they used to say, They will surely ask advice at Abel. And thus they ended the dispute. I am of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You are seeking to destroy a city, even a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Joab replied, Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. Such is not the case, but a man from the hill country of Ephraim, Sheba the son of Bichri by name, has lifted up his hand against King David. Only hand him over and I will depart from the city. And the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman wisely came to all the people. And they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they were dispersed from the city, each to his tent. Joab also returned to the king at Jerusalem. Now Joab was over the whole army of Israel, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and Adram was over the forced labor, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahlud, was the recorder, and Shiva was scribe, and Zadok and Abiathar were priests, and Ira the Jairite was also a priest to David. This is the word of the Lord. So, right on the heels of this division and Absalom, uprises Sheba, who's described as a worthless fellow. You also note that he's a Benjamite, that means he's of the tribe of Saul. There may be something there. There may be some residual allegiance that Sheba has to Saul uh, over David. And what, what he attempts to do is, is not so much what Absalom did, which was uh, a coup d'etat. He was, Absalom was trying to get rid of his, his father David. Sheba is just trying to secede. He's trying to get Israel to go one way and allow Judah to go another way. And so he, he says, in this tender moment when Israel and Judah are trying to get together, he says, we have no portion in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his home, every man to his tents, O Israel. And so uh, he's more or less saying David's going to, to ignore us. He's going to prefer the men of his own tribe and he, we're not going to have any good that will come from, from David. And Israel, who perhaps is looking for excuse not to follow David, goes after Sheba. Um, Judah, on the other hand, stays with David. And then in verse 3, we get this strange, it seems like an interruption, but there are no um, happenstance interruptions in Scripture. Everything's there for a purpose. Uh, 
this mention of David's concubines. You remember the, the concubines of David had been, uh, Absalom had in the sight of all Israel lain with those concubines. That was Absalom's way of saying the kingdom is mine. And David now um, <clears throat> doesn't go into them anymore. He uh, protects them. I mean, the commentaries that I read on this verse, it kind of sounds like he locked them up and didn't let them, didn't let them do anything else. Others, other commentaries said, no, he was kind of protecting them. He was, he was, it says he still provided sustenance for them, and uh, he didn't go into them. He didn't lay with them, but he also um, kept them shut up, it says, until the day of their death, living as widows. It may be that David was trying to express the, the fact that he was now protecting his kingdom whereas before Absalom had broken into his concubines and um, tried to express that he was king over Judah. So I think that's what's going on here. It's expressing in a, a strange way that David is returning to uh, the control of his kingdom. And then along comes Amasa, right? And you remember Amasa was, in the previous chapter, was put in charge of the armies of Israel in place of Joab. And uh, that was in response to, to Joab's, um, Joab's a complicated character. Joab is strangely loyal to David, but always you, you don't know whether he's going to do right or he's doing wrong, whether he's doing something for the kingdom, whether he's doing something for himself. He's a very uh, complicated figure through all of this. And, um, but he's not the, king, the king's commander of armies right now. Amasa is. And so David calls to Amasa and says, we got three days to get an army together and go out against Israel. And so gather together the, the men of Israel. Well, Amasa doesn't get it done. He... He fails in the three days to gather them together. He delayed, it says in verse 5. And then verse 6, David said to Abishai. Now Abishai, who is Abishai? Abishai is Joab's brother. Okay, Abishai is Joab's brother. You remember him from previous chapters. And that's who David now turns to. And he says to him, go after Abishai. If we don't, then this will be worse than Absalom's rebellion. And, um, and so uh, the, the special forces are raised up for this. The Cherethites and the Pelethites, they're either special forces or they're the bodyguards of David, and so they're probably both of those things, right? You're going to have the best men around David for, for bodyguards. And so these are, these are men, the, the best men of Judah, and they... Uh, come together. And then, um, but notice in verse 7, it says, very suddenly, so Joab's men went out after him, along with the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men. Joab is inserting himself into this situation. Amasa um, didn't get it done, and Abishai, his brother, is asked to come in, but Joab is always looking for an opportunity, and so 
he takes this as another opportunity, and he uh, he goes out with David's men. And then verse eight, Amasa and Joab meet, and Joab is is all dressed up, right? He he knows how to. Uh, command the respect of the troops, and so he's got uh, all of his, you know, medals on his his coat, and he's got everything on his military attire. He's also got a, a sword fastened to his belt, right? And the the last the last part of verse eight it says, as he went forward, the sword fell out, and most of the commentaries I read said that that was likely intentional that the he. He allowed the sword to fall, so even as he was putting an arm up to, to kiss Amasa and to, to grab his beard, he was um, preparing to thrust the sword through the guts of Amasa. And so Joab greets him and says he took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him, which was a traditional form of greeting at the time. But it says, Amasa was not on guard against the sword which is in Joab's hand, so he struck him in the belly with it and poured out his inward parts on the ground and did not strike him again, and he died. That end did not strike him again is, is a poetic way of saying the first blow was enough. He uh, cut him wide open with one blow. And, and so, again, you, here's Joab. Here's Joab doing what the king never commanded him to do. And here's Joab inserting himself into a situation. Remember, Joab's the man, you got to keep remembering that Joab is the man that David recruited to deal, to cover up his sin with, with Bathsheba and Uriah. And so it seems like Joab is, is uh, ambitious. And will do what the king wants at times, but also will do what he wants at times. And so he kills Amasa, and you got to figure he does it because he's jealous. He's jealous that that man was put in his position and took his position. And so now um, Joab deals with that in an unrighteous way. He takes him out. Joab is going rogue, right? And... um, you know, just just think of what Joab has done. Joab killed Abner. Joab, against the king's explicit orders, killed Absalom. And now Joab kills Amasa. And yet he's leading the forces, right? Um, <clears throat> Joab's, Joab's creed, one common commentary put was, when someone stands in your way, kill him. That's what, what Joab has been doing. The, now, Joab and Abishai, Abishai come together, and they're brothers, remember, so they know, they know each other well. They come together, and they continue the pursuit of Sheba. And notice in 11 and 12 that one of the young men stood up and says, whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. Interesting that the young man doesn't lead with King David's name. He leads with Joab's name. And it's clear that Joab has his men and Joab has his following. And Joab 
in, in that name coming first, Joab wants to be first, and his men want him to be first. And so, uh, very interesting that David would um, be named second here. You would expect that they would say, this is, this is for King David, and yet he leads with Joab. Um, <clears throat> all the men of the army are hesitating because Samas's body is in the middle of the road and it's causing everybody to stop and think and reflect and uh, wonder what's going on. And so uh, they, they take the body, they throw it into the field and cover it up and uh, move on their way. A rather, a rather um, uh, a terrible ter- uh, dishonoring of uh, somebody in death um, in the way that they treated, treated him. Now enter a, um, <clears throat> so the pursuit continues and the pursuit continues to a city named Abel and that city uh, has this wise woman. So a wise woman enters into the picture. Joab goes up to that city. He's besieging it. He's, he, it says in verse 15, uh, all the people who were with Joab were wreaking destruction in order to topple the wall. Right. So they're going at the city. They know that Sheba's in this city, and so they're going after it. The woman comes out to the gates and says, look, um, come here. Uh, I, need to, I need to speak to you, right? She's trying to save her city. And so he, he approached this woman, and the woman said, are you Joab? And he answers, I am. And then she says, listen, listen to me. Um, Joab says he's listening. And then she, she goes into a speech that's sort of like a chamber of commerce speech. Right, she's, she's saying that our city has a reputation of, of offering good advice and bringing peace. Right? So she says, formerly they used to say they, they will surely ask advice at Abel, and thus they ended the dispute. Right? She's saying that this is a city of peace. We don't, we don't want you to destroy this city. I'm of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You're going to destroy this city and this city is one of the glories of God. This, is, this city is an inheritance. This city, she describes it as a mother in Israel. This city is, is, a, is a gem of a city. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab responds, I, I don't intend to do that. I don't intend to do that. Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy, even though his men are at the city walls wreaking destruction. Such is not the case, but a man from the hill country of Ephraim, Sheba the son of Bichri by name, has lifted up his hand against King David. Only hand him over, and I will depart from the city. Give him, give him up. And the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. So this woman, it says... The woman wisely came to all the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they were dispersed from the city, each to his tent. Joab also returned to the king at Jerusalem. So you think about that. This, the, the, it mentions several times that she's a wise woman, and 
uh, you know, there's a, there's a sense in which you can be worldly wise. There's a sense in which you can be uh, wise in a biblical sense, in a, in a godly way, right? And, and you wonder whether or not she's, um, certainly she averts the destruction that came upon her city, but this is mob rule, right? This is, this is the woman and the, the people of that city taking matters into their own hands. And yet, um, it's also a judgment against Sheba, right? Sheba is, is dividing the people of God, and he meets a bitter end at the, by God's providence at the hands of the people of Israel. And so... <clears throat> um, so there's some question about that um, in my mind, but nonetheless, the rebellion is put down by the city Abel, by this wise woman and her counsel and the actions of the city. The rebellion is put down. Joab goes back to Jerusalem. He goes back to the king at Jerusalem. Now remember, the, remember Joab is, was relieved of his duties as the commander of the king's armies. And Amasa was put in his place. Amasa kills him, spills his guts on the ground. And the chapter ends by mentioning that Joab is back in charge of the, the army of Israel. Joab's back in his position. And we get, we get here a, a list of, I would call this like the cabinet of David. It, it happened once before, earlier in David's, um, reign. If you go back to chapter 8 at verse 15, there's also a list, many of the same names as here later in David's kingdom, of those who were closest to, to David. Mentions um, there, there is one significant difference, though. In chapter 8 at verse 15, it starts with David. David reigned over all Israel. Here, at the end, it just starts with Joab. It leaves David out. The mention is not there. It's almost as if David has lost control of his kingdom, and that's reflected even in the language that the, um, here in these verses. So 8.15, it says, So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. And then it lists the, the cabinet. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahlud, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests, and Sariah was secretary. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. That, so a lot of those names are the same here. Um, but it, the two things it doesn't mention are David at the beginning and David's sons at the end as the chief ministers. And David's sons being chief ministers would be like chief, chief counselors. It's kind of like um, Donald Trump Jr.'s role to, to Donald Trump Sr., right? Um, advisor and seems to be running uh, certain things for him. And so David's sons did that, but now they're not mentioned. And there's a reason for that, right? David's sons have uh, either met their end or gone their own way. <clears throat> so uh, that's a big difference between the lists, and I think it indicates that David is David's 
not bringing cohesion to the kingdom. What I want to, and so that's the passage. We've walked through it. At this point, I just want to make an application and talk about authority. Uh, because I think that's a lot of, of what's going on here is what, um, what is authority, who's wielding it well, and what can we, and who's not, and, and what can we learn from that when in situations where God gives us authority, whether that's as uh, um, a civil magistrate, whether that's as a parent, whether that's as a, a pastor or a husband or whatever it may be. <clears throat> the Sheba, starting with Sheba, He's a rebel against authority, straight up. He disregards King David, and he calls, and he's a worthless fellow, it says. He's a worthless man. And yet, he raises his voice and gets all of Israel to go after him. David has a legitimate claim to the, authority, to, to the throne, obviously, right? Um, that has been obvious. Sheba, though, bases his actions on on assumptions, if you go back to chapter 19, right, Judah's concerned that David, or Israel is concerned that David's not going to, you know, be, give them the attention that they deserve, and Sheba takes up those emotions of Israel and puts word to them and um, leads the people astray, and so Sheba's just a rebel, Right, that's his orientation toward legitimate authority. He's like, it doesn't matter. We're going to go with what we want and what we feel. And then Joab. There's Joab. Joab is an opportunist. Right, he he rebels against authority, and and for some reason, I mean, we'll get to it when we talk about David, but. David doesn't deal with him. But Joab is this opportunist. He rebels against authority, and yet he's, in a weird way, still loyal to David. It appears he's doing things for David, and David accepts the things he does as being done for him, and yet he's not submissive to David in any way. So he's, like, loyal and unsubmissive. He... he keeps himself close enough to David, but then is always going about his own business and going his own ways, which is not a real healthy way to orient yourself toward authority, right? And so he's a murderer uh, also that hasn't been brought to justice. He, he has committed crimes and skated by and that may just make him more brash to continue committing crimes um, and disregarding the law of God, right? You got to remember that the law is an authority too, and he, he just disregards it. He's committing murder left and right, and he's disregarding it. And then there's the wise woman. Uh, she brings an end to the rebellion, but like I said before, is this mob rule? Should, should they have somehow... Um, gone to authorities to deal with that, or is that what she did? We don't really know whether that's what she did. Um, is this rebellion? Is this, um, or is this justice? 
I think that question is left open, but Scripture, uh, I mean, the, the indication is that she's acting wisely. And, and so, um, you know, she, uh, she as a woman is acting as a mother to a city. Right, she is acting like a mother in Israel, even as she describes her city as a mother in Israel. She is acting in this way to protect her people. Don't bring the fight here. We'll take care of this rebel, Sheba, and and bring him out to you. So she is acting like a mother. And then there's David. David is weak. We repeatedly see in Scripture David's weakness. If you You know, if you had to make a list of leaders in Scripture, I'm afraid that David doesn't doesn't fall in the top five. Maybe not the you know top twenty-five. Right? He he is God's appointed leader, and and yet you think of Moses and you think the way that Moses led the people of God, and we see Moses' faults as well. Right? We see all the faults of leaders, just like, you know, there are no perfect, every, every man sins, right? Every leader sins, every leader abdicates his authority. And we certainly see that time and time again with David. It's written large in scripture, and yet what do we also know about David? He's a man of faith, right? He may have been aware of his inability to lead. He was living it. He was losing his sons. He was grieved, right? And we know that when, when David is dying, he calls his son to take care of the things that he didn't take care of. So it may be that David is fully aware of these things, but he's, he's a man of faith as well. He has mercy on his enemies. He sang and wrote praises to God. He cried out for God's mercy he acknowledged his sin before the Lord, right? I'm, you know, I'm the man. I am the man. Um, I have sinned against God and against him alone. And so, but, but nonetheless, we see David, David's weakness. He does not deal with Joab. He doesn't deal with Joab. Joab, and, and he's going to have to deal with Joab down the road, even still, right? So, he has not dealt with Joab. Um, and so in this sense, David's a rebel. David doesn't bring God's law to bear upon the men around him. right? And so as the king, he's not in a position to do that. David should have dealt with Joab's murder. But here, Joab comes back to the king and he's now the commander of the armies again, and nothing's mentioned about it in Scripture. David just does the easy thing here. He does the easy thing. He does not um, <clears throat> does not deal with this problem. And so, you know, the question that I'll leave you with and the question that I think about will we ever as a people as God's people stop rebelling against legitimate authority the answer is no um, but the answer is we should we should not be rebels against legitimate authority and that that's I'm thinking of 
our authority as being the Bible, right? We shouldn't rebel against the authority of God's word. <clears throat> I'm thinking of the state. We shouldn't rebel against the legitimate commands and authority of the state. I'm thinking of the church and her offices and officers, right? That, that we shouldn't rebel against those authorities that God has put up in the church for our own good. The wife shouldn't rebel against the husband, the father, you know, the children shouldn't rebel against the father and the mother. They have legitimate authority. Um, the, the employee and the boss, the principal and, you know, the teacher, uh, all these are, are situations where, where we have to consider our station in life and consider our position. It's not easy. Um, but it is what we're called to do. Um, the, and, and of course, the authority over all authority is God himself, right? And God tells us to obey certain authorities. And that's why Paul teaches us that to rebel against those authorities is to rebel against God himself. It's very difficult. It's very painful. Our emotions take us in certain directions, and we don't want to do certain things. Our uh, feelings of victimhood, our, our sense of justice, all those things get bent out of shape. And yet, at the end of the ages, we'll be judged for whether or not we <clears throat> respected God's authority, whether we respected him. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Right? <clears throat> um, Unfortunately, rebellion is in the heart of man. Rebellion is in the heart of man since Adam, right? Adam rebelled against the authority of, of God, and that, that rebellion is such a part of our hearts, such a part of our minds. And we need, it, part of our sanctification is to remove that rebellion from our hearts. Given all of this, Given David's poor leadership, given revolts happening by worthless men, given Joab's going rogue, right? given all these things that are going, the amazing thing is that the kingdom of Israel is still standing. And that's the grace of God. The kingdom of Israel is still standing. Uh, you think about the statement that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church, and yet we see the church is a mess, right? The church is sinners. The church is leaders failing. The church is, um, is heresies come in and affect the church and lead whole portions of it uh, away from the orthodox faith, and yet the kingdom is still standing. Right? The kingdom is still standing, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so even as we see David's failings here, we still see the kingdom. We still see it progressing. We still see God's, God's promises being fulfilled uh, and not being put off track by the sins of men. God superintends even the sins of men to bring about his goodwill over time. And that made me think about the... Uh, the wonderful hymn that we sing, um, The Church is One Foundation. 
And the one verse in there that, that brings, uh, that came to mind is, though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Right? There's schisms, there's heresies distressing the church, there's failed leaders, there's leaders that fall, there's the, the corruption of everybody's heart uh, that, that um, and yet God's purposes continue in this world and he uses, he uses those failed leaders and uh, for his good end. And so praise God for that. That gives you hope as a father to um, be... Uh, disciplining your children that gives you hope as a church officer that God will continue to use you in the lives of others even though he's got much work to do in your own life and it gives you um, gives you hope that the the church though though distressed continually work will continue to be God's bride and God the the bride of Christ and will continue to be salt and light to the world through to the end of the ages.